Hey everybody, thank you for joining us for today's episode of Real Estate Disruptors. Today we got Benjamin Marison with Forte Real Estate and he flew in from Windsor, Ontario in Canada to share how he went from refugee to private money to doing a million last year in wholesale fees. So quite the journey. Uh, if this is your first time tuning in, I am Steve Trang, broker and owner of Stunning Homes Realty, founder of the Offer Fast Homes app, the only MLS you'll need for off-market wholesale properties. And I'm on a mission to create 100 millionaires. So if that's something you are interested in, let's connect on Instagram. If you're excited for today's show, please give me a wave, give me a thumbs up. And as a friendly reminder, I don't charge a dime for this show. I don't make any money doing this. So here's all I ask. This is what it costs for you to listen to this show. If you get value today, please tell a friend. You can share this episode right now. Tag a friend below or tell them your best takeaway from the show later on. That way we can all grow together. And as I've been asking the last couple of weeks, I do need help. I'm trying to get to 10,000 subscribers on YouTube. So please subscribe, ask your mom to subscribe, ask your, go to your friend's phone, subscribe from there, whatever we got to do. I want to get to 10,000. Um, don't forget this is a live show. So please post your questions for Ben to answer and you ready to go. Let's do it, man. All right. So the first question, simple question is what got you into real estate? Got a little bit of a journey, right? So I was uh, born in the communist country of Romania back in 85. And back then it was super oppressive, just like every other communist country. So, um, basically my dad and pa my, my parents decided like this is not going to be our legacy this is not going to be our family so we fled the country illegally we were in a refugee camp came to canada the oldest of nine kids just to give you some background real quick nine kids nine kids the oldest one every year for nine years boom 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 right consistency is key. consistency right so i knew coming here i just had a massive purpose on my shoulders i had to do something significant and so growing up i was going to be a musician then finally in university i realized like you know i gotta i gotta figure out a way to make money right mm -hmm. so I started doing every every one of those, you know, pyramid companies and get rich quick companies. <laughs> I've I've been in, in every one of them that you can imagine, right? Yeah. And it, it was all about, you know, the hustle, the grind, making something happen, productive, whatever. And I, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, like many of your listeners, I'm sure, and I was like, Man, real estate, that's that's what I gotta do. I gotta get in real estate. So, you know, bought my first property at uh, twenty one years old. It was a duplex. I was able to move out of my parents' house. Really? At the time I paid twenty one. Twenty one, dude, twenty one and I remember it was like $156 a month was my like uh, was my total cost of living in this property after utilities, taxes, everything. Wow. And then I was like, okay, real estate seems to be the vehicle. Um, I'm like, I can do this. This is something I can do. And, and then from there, so that was my first deal. So really kind of just purpose, making sure that I was doing something larger. And I just felt that real estate was a good opportunity to both help people, you know, like tenants and sellers and buyers. At the mm. same time, you know, build wealth for myself as well at the same time in our family back home. Gotcha. So you said you came over, you're how old? I came to Canada when I was six years old. Six years old. Yep. Um, but you didn't go straight into wholesaling. So what was your first venture into real estate? First business. Well, you, you bought the house, but like yeah. the business. Yeah. So the first real business I started was a carpet cleaning business. Now you had my boys, the Mathis twins on here a while ago and, yeah. and they started janitorial. So very, very similar story. And um, I basically started that company with nothing. I got a $5,000 loan from the bank bought my first machine and I just went to work. Mm -hmm. I didn't know anything about carpet cleaning. I didn't know anything about business. I just, I wanted to do something with my hands, do something tangible, something that would help me, you know, make money at the same time. And it was, uh, it was cool. It was cool because I would get to go and work in the evenings. So I'd be doing all these junky jobs, you know, like, mm -hmm. you know, after the bar would close, they'd send me in to scrub the floors and, you know, we advanced. So we got ahead, we got, we got into talent, grout cleaning and janitorial. And we were, we were cleaning just about everything, new construction yeah. builds. And, and I did that actually for about six years. Okay. Six years and allowed me to, to do that in the evenings and then basically look at real estate, daydream about it, 
you know, mm -hmm. during the day, go to courses, that kind of thing. And then was private money your first venture into the, the real estate game? Yeah, so I would say I've always been I've always been interested in private money ever since I read that OPM book, mm -hmm. right, that everybody reads. And, and my brain just keeps asking, how do I do it? How do I do it? How do I do it? So the first thing we did was rentals. My wife and I lived very frugally. We're like the typical, you know, uh, Romanians. So we literally saved a whole paycheck for about six years. Okay. We lived on half a paycheck, saved a whole paycheck, lived in one of our duplexes, drove old cars, all that kind of thing. And um, we had about, you know, 10, 10 or 15 rentals, I believe at the time. And the market went up and I thought about, hey, wouldn't it be interesting if we could create a mortgage company? So we had all these tenants living there and I would ask them like, why don't you guys own a home? Mm -hmm. And in Canada, it was just the conditions were so difficult to actually get a loan approval. There's so many requirements, right? Especially after the collapse. Mm -hmm. So we basically sold all the rentals, took that money and we started a mortgage company with it. Wow. And so that was my primary venture was, how do I raise capital? How do I put together deals? What does it need to look like? So it's the flipping or that business is interesting is a combination of the flipping business. It was a combination of private lending and, and, um, uh, and basically renovation. So those three components together created this like one-stop shop, real estate lending sales kind of company. Okay, and then how long ago was this? This was, we started this about six years ago now. And how old were you? Six years ago, I would have been, uh, let's see here, about, about 28. Yeah. 28. Yeah. So right. you started a private market company at 28. That's right. And then what were the, you know, bumps and bruises? What did you learn along the way? Oh, dude, it's been bumps and bruises since day one, but a um, couple major things. Number one, I, in terms of the lending side, uh, people say like, what does it take to borrow money from people? What's the biggest piece? And for me, it's always about credibility. Do they really believe at the end of the day that you're gonna make that payment if something happens? Do they think you're the kind of person that would get a second job at Wendy's to make that payment if everything hits the fan, Yeah. right? So the biggest lesson was learning that uh, it wasn't even the deal. Like the deal could be good and they would lend on it, but it was really, do I trust that person borrowing the capital? So I had to learn, I had to learn how to be that person, you know, and. and as far as integrity and all that stuff, I'm, I'm just that guy. I would go get a third job. But really letting people see that side of me and not being just this super like professional, prim and proper guy, mm -hmm. just being an authentic version of myself. So I think that was one of the biggest things I learned. For you on the private lending side? Yeah, yeah, because I mean, private lending is all about borrowing at X, lending at Y, right? right. So we all live in the spread in that world. Mm -hmm. Nobody has $100 million unless you're Kevin O'Leary right. to just you know park that capital. So you have to borrow at X, lend at Y. Mm -hmm. So it's the borrowing at X that's the tough part in the private lending world. Because gotcha. when you do a deal, like I want to do a mortgage deal, let's say for example, let's talk technical for a second. Mm -hmm. So I sell the property for 100 grand. I want to do a VTB. Let's say that we do VTB is a vet, sorry, vendor take back mortgage, okay. right? This is old, old school strategies that work in, in today's mm -hmm. world. So on a vendor take back mortgage, what I might do, so I sold that property, right? Mm -hmm. um, I'll get a private partner to come in for the majority of it, let's say 75% loan to value. So he'll come in first position mortgage at $100,000 and then I'll stay in in a second position mortgage, let's say for 20,000 or 20% and then the homeowner would actually put down 5%. Because yeah. in Canada, the rules around mortgages are completely different than they are in the U.S. We do not have Dodd-Frank, and no. for the most part, it's unregulated. You can do so many things in Canada with mortgages. So it's really about borrowing here, lending here, and then finding a way where the home buyer wins, the lender's got his capital preserved mm -hmm. and safe, and then where you can make a profit. So I really look at a massive win-win-win in every deal that I do. So when you talk about private money, because like here in, you know, in Arizona, Private money is someone's got a lot of money, yep, and they just want to do better than you know whatever you can get in a in a bank, yep, right. So they're not necessarily sophisticated investors; they just got a lot of money. Agreed. Uh, and they'll lend to people that are flipping or looking to buy cash flow properties. 
when you're doing private money lending, it sounds like you're lending it to homeowners for their primary. Yeah, so we've done both. So the mortgage company we created was around helping people purchase their home, right? Mm -hmm. So it was like a home ownership company. So in our world, we'll basically raise capital, we'll buy the deal. So that's how I got into wholesaling was I was, we started flipping these homes, right? And I needed a source uh, for these properties. So we'll actually raise the capital, put it together, flip the deal, sell the deal, and then give it to a retail buyer. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure in the U.S. it doesn't work that way. You can't just lend to retail buyers. I think it has to be to business or something of that nature. Yeah. Yeah. So we've done both. We fund, you know, we fund investor deals. Mm -hmm. We fund retail deals. Uh, we really fund all kinds of stuff. So it's always about borrowing and then lending on this side. And it, the cool thing is it's highly scalable because if you can learn to really raise capital efficiently, raise a million bucks, lend it back out. So you raise it at six, you, you lend it at 10, you got a 4% spread on a million bucks. All right. It's a good margin, right? Absolutely. So being able to do that, it's fairly straightforward once you've got the hang of it. Um, so that's why I get excited about it because I love, I love raising money. Okay. So you did that six years, started it six years ago and yep. that's still up and running. Yeah. So we've now, uh, we've got about 80 mortgages in our portfolio. Mm -hmm. uh, which is cool. We originally wanted to have a hundred rental doors, right? And everybody's got that like mailbox money, get those rental properties, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. I basically converted that business into a mortgage business, which is truly the only passive real estate business I've ever been a part of. Cause now I'm the bank. Mm -hmm. I don't, you know, I don't take care of the property. I don't collect the rent. Everything is automated. So the payments just come in. So we've got, we've got a, a fairly nice monthly cushion that comes in on 80 mortgages where we're, we were able to, to basically f financial independence, um, right. you know, a couple of years ago and, and really not have to work if we didn't want to. But I love this stuff. And I love the fact that we're providing home ownership to people who really need it. Right. So why wholesale? Wholesale was um, out of necessity. OK, so the market went up a lot. There was no deals anywhere. And, you know, when the market rises, you're a broker. I mean, you know, this world. Um, they flood the market with investors. Mm -hmm. Not always good people too. So in our market, it went up like crazy. Just like here in Phoenix, I had a couple properties here a few years ago. Mm -hmm. um, the market went up like crazy and I was stuck. I couldn't find homes to buy. I used to make like 20 offers a day on the MLS. Couldn't get any deals. And I'm like, oh man, what do I do? So I, your challenge was you weren't getting enough opportunities because you weren't direct to seller. Correct, because I was everything on the MLS and we'd have the odd deal come through and somebody say, hey, I've got it. Somebody wants to sell the property or whatever. And I realized I have to cut out the middleman. Mm -hmm. Even though one of my best buddies is a realtor and I bought 75 houses with the guy, I was like, dude, we can't do this anymore. Like, I, yeah. I, 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 you're not finding me the deals, number one. And number two, it's just, uh, it's just not working. So I had to get in it out of, uh, basically out of necessity. Mm -hmm. I learned about it. I came, actually, I went to GrowthCon. I met Chris Rude there, who's my boy. And uh, Chris is like, Ban, you working too slow, Ban. You need to go direct to sailor. And I was like, <laughs> dude, you're right. You're 100% right, man. And he really opened up my mind to to creating a business around going direct to seller. And then it, it, it completely helped remove that obstacle from our company and then that we could actually keep the deals flowing. Okay. So you said that um, Chris helped you come up with a way because the way we wholesale here, my understanding is would not fly in Canada. Well, it wouldn't, it wouldn't. I mean, it depends how you approach it, but finish your questioning though. Well, I, so what did you do mm -hmm. to make it work in Canada? So first thing you got to understand is like in Canada, like you have Dodd-Frank over here, mm -hmm. we have governing bodies over realtors and real estate transactions. Which I'm sure you have some, but they're not enforced. Mm -hmm. So you can't just put something under contract because the moment you remove that condition, it is a firm binding agreement, which I know it's over here as well. I think the difference is you've got some kind of due diligence period here where mm -hmm. for whatever reason you can adjust the closing back out or whatever. I don't know how that works. I'm just, I'm just making assumptions here. We don't. The moment I remove conditions, it is a fixed closing date. I have to close or I get tendered on or sued. Mm -hmm. So the biggest problem with trying to do wholesaling in Canada is that if you don't know what you're doing, you're going to get sued by sellers because you can't close the deal. 
So you're scrambling so to make not, sure you honor. So here, they, we just have to give up our earnest money. Yep. There. You're getting sued. Yeah. Yeah. Unless you explicitly write in the contract. So it's more contractual than it is legal. If you understand how that works mm -hmm. and you structure your deal and there's transparency in the deal, I'm huge on transparency with sellers. Like I'm not the guy who goes in and says, oh, no, I'll close on it and then I wholesale it. Like, mm -hmm. no, I, hey, there's a good probability. I'll probably assign this contract with third party. So it does actually work the same. But you just have to make sure that you're a lot more careful because there's a specific closing date mm -hmm. and you don't have the right to extend that, to walk away. You know, you got to be cash in hand. So for me as a private lender, I actually kind of reverse engineered it and said, okay, I just raised the capital. If I put something under contract, I'll raise the capital. I've got multiple exits. Exit mm -hmm. one, I use the wholesale exit. So if you want to buy that property from me, I'll sign the contract to you, close on it. Exit two, I double close the deal and just put it back on MLS, which is what we do mostly today. Exit three, I'll rehab the property and put it back on MLS. And exit four, I can always give it to a mortgage client. So right. by having that kind of system in place, we never get in this like trading and real estate kind of kind of thing where we're just kind of locking up contracts, selling contracts, right? Okay. So I think it's just the mindset's a little bit different. Exit four, selling it to a mortgage client. Yeah. What is that? So that's what we talked about earlier. Like, okay. So we'll take that property, we'll find a, a, an end user who wants to buy that home, and then we'll sell them the property and then give them the financing as well for that property. Gotcha. So it comes with financing. You got it. Yep. Yeah. It's like it's like buying a car at a dealership, right? You walk in with a with a car you don't like, or maybe mm -hmm. you don't own a car, and the guy says, "Here, I'll give you the vehicle. We'll give you the financing, and uh, you know, take care of it, and then there you go." Yeah. So it's not like I don't have enough things to do. I have plenty of things to do. Yep. But one of the things that's been on my mind is like, I've got these properties I'm wholesaling. Yep. How cool it would be if I can include financing with it. Mm -hmm. Then it just opens the door to more buyers. Now you're talking my language. That's what we do. Yeah. So we actually took uh, a whole bunch of guys that were renovating properties. So I, I put these ads out for contractors. And I said, why don't you contractors learn how to flip houses, right? And they're like, well, we don't have the money. Cool, I have the money. We don't have the property. Cool, I have the properties. So I, I was able to give them both. And then we also gave them some training and um, we became the largest Lowe's customer in our region. So we were able to hook them up with our discount and stuff too. So um, we do that now. So somebody comes to us, they put X amount down. We make sure that we've got the capital. If they want it from us, they can do the flip, whatever they need to do with that property, return the capital to mm -hmm. us. It really greases the wheel a lot when you can right. offer financing. Oh yeah, you're giving them every solution. There's, there's no, there's nothing else holding them back from doing the deal other than sheer will of not wanting to do it. But if they've right. got a desire and the ability and they're credible, then give them the financing because I understand the financing is a real hurdle for people. I think it's mostly a hurdle up here though. Yeah. Um, there's so much capital available. Like mm -hmm. you know this, right? There's tons of it. It's, do you know how to find it? Do you know how to aggregate it, put it together and then use it efficiently on deals? Well, so that's a very good point. So going back to my next step, yep. if I wanted to do this, mm -hmm. how do I go find capital? Okay. Well, great question. First of all, what you're doing right now is amazing, right? Yeah. You're getting yourself out there. You're branding. You're you're creating awareness around what you do. Mm -hmm. uh, and and like I used to be completely shy a couple of years ago. Crystal Crystal really? attested this. Oh, dude, I was <laughs> under the radar. I was a millionaire by the time I was 30. Nobody knew who I was. No Insta. No Facebook. No. I used to have a fake name on on Facebook. It was like Yamin Mude. Like you'll never find that. <laughs> I sound like some some other guy, right? And then I realized actually going to 10X the first time, I was like, I got to get out of my shell. If I want to have massive impact and help a lot of people, mm -hmm. I got to be okay with haters and I got to be okay with, uh, with being very polarizing. That's why you see I'm very polarizing character. Most people love me or hate me. There's really no lukewarm. <laughs> so the, the first thing I would do is find your audience, find your tribe. So mm -hmm. for me, the people that love what we do, the, the fact that we, you know, we help buyers, we've got a really amazing mission, very social impact. I find those people and we attract them into our world. And then we, it's a simple conversation. Hi, I'm doing deals. Do you have capital? 
you know, can I park it for you? So yeah. when people ask me, I think one of the easiest things I learned this trick from, from one of my buds, everywhere he goes, we'll say, what do you do for a living, right? He says, oh, I help people invest their money in real estate. Oh, what's that look like? Mm -hmm. And that's the first step is just having conversations. And the cool part is you never know which dude has $10 million. Yeah. Like you seriously don't, because a lot of people live in that millionaire next door life. Oh yeah, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. and and you you'll never have a clue. So engaging him in that conversation, you're finding out, hey, this guy's got ten million dollars. You're a great operator. You know how to facilitate ten million dollars. You can put it back into deals. Most people have that kind of money. They have their own business. If it's not real estate, mm -hmm. they're not really good at taking a dollar and making it into two. Yeah. Right. But us as real estate investors, we have the vehicle. So I think that's the first piece is just, I know it's a long-winded explanation. Well, but, but I think it's good, right, uh, for people to know. So uh, going back to here, we got all different ways of, you know, pulling money. There's um, the legal way of syndicating it, right? Yep. Um, or the other one is just having, having them all dump an equal amount of money into an LLC, whatever. Yep. What do you guys do in Canada? So we've got mix in Canada as well. We've got, you know, different syndication things. For me, I like to work on a one-on-one. -on -one. I'm huge on relationships. So mm -hmm. I'm not I'm not really a transactional investor like a lot of guys. I'm a relational investor. So meaning that I'll spend time to build a relationship with somebody, grow it, and then ask them for the referral. So I'm very much one-on-one. -on -one. We'll have a conversation. Hey, Steve, how are you? This is what I'm doing. You know, what are your goals, Steve? What are, what are your goals with investing? I want to make 10%, 15%. Okay, how much do you have available? Mm -hmm. And we have these things in Canada called RSPs, which you guys have 401ks, uh, retirement, registered retirement savings plans. And people park their capital there. There are millions and millions and millions of dollars sitting in RSPs doing nothing. Yeah. So it's like, hey, do you have RSPs? Because we're very encouraged in Canada to park money in RSP, right? Like I had a hundred grand in there, I didn't know what to do with it. I'm just, it's there because I saved the taxes because it mm -hmm. was deferred, right? So I think that's how I like to do is a very one-on-one. -on -one. So I might have 20 or 30 investors, but each of those investors is, let's say we do a hundred grand, 500 grand, a million dollars, and then they're next, and they're Also next, the challenge that we always have is like, oh, I've got 20,000, I want to invest like. Yep. Can't really do anything with 20,000. Not really. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's tight when you have less money. Um, I, I look for, you know, kind of qualified investors, people who already have over a hundred thousand gotcha. dollars. If it's less than 20, there's not a whole lot you can do. Exactly. You can pull and you can do stuff. My problem is that it's not even that it's, it's, it's impossible to do. It's just, it's cumbersome. It's difficult. There's too many moving parts, too many opinions. Mm -hmm. So my opinion is if you have 20 grand, um, you know, maybe keep investing your education, learn to make a lot more and then come back and see me. So I'd rather take a guy with 20 grand and say, why don't you flip a property? Oh, I don't know how to do that. I'll help you do that and turn that 20 into 40. It'll give you pride of ownership. It'll, it'll help you make more money and it'll create a long-term relationship with us. So I'd rather take that guy from 20 to 100 mm -hmm. and then have him invest 100. Right. That's what I would do with him. And if, gotcha. if he's not willing to do the 20 to 40, I probably don't want to be in business with him anyways or uh, because the reality is a lot of those people are just take, 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 take. So you gotta be careful who, just cause there's money out there doesn't mean you should take it. I've yeah. had experiences where people call me up every day because the problem with $20,000 investors is a lot of them, that's all the money they have, mm -hmm. right? How's that deal going? How's that deal going, right? They micromanage your time. Yeah. And then it just becomes a nuisance. Somebody who's got a million dollars net worth and they're giving you a hundred grand, they're not gonna call you like that because it's, it's, it's not even in their, in their mind. Right, oh, that's, that's a great tidbit. Uh, you have a gong, we should hit a gong or something. Like, boom. <laughs> don't hit the table, it freaks everyone out. I'm sorry. Sorry, guys. <laughs> I apologize. I'm Canadian. I don't have these uh, these cultural differences yet. I oh, no, out. I'm talking about like when they're in the car <laughs> listening to it later on. Oh, my bad. Uh, so, uh, okay, so you transitioned to wholesaling. 
So let's talk. When did you make that transition or addition? That's not a transition. An addition to yeah. wholesale. When did you make that move? So we used to. So we were flipping these properties. Once I realized what a wholesale deal was, and this was only actually last February, mm-hmm. right? So last February, I meet Chris, and he's like, "Dude, you got a wholesale." I said, "What is this wholesale?" I figured out. I spent about two months with a lawyer, you know, ironing out the paperwork. As soon as I realized that I could make ten grand or fifteen thousand, and I could take a quick nickel over a slow dime, we stopped doing rehabs. Mm-hmm. It was actually an opportune moment because our crew had decided as the market came up. Most of our guys were like, "Hey, I want to flip my own properties," mm-hmm. and we said, "Okay, cool. So you're not gonna you're not gonna work here anymore." So what we did is we actually funded our own crew to start their own little businesses, gotcha. and then we went full tilt into wholesaling. Right? I was yeah. like, "I need to learn how to wholesale." So I think last year I actually brought the stats because I I'm I'm data over drama by the way. So I look at the stats. Um, <laughs> data over drama. That's the expression. Data over drama. <laughs> yeah, that's that's all. I, mean. I, I don't deal with the drama stuff. Give me the data points. Yeah. So in 2018 we did. Uh, 41 wholesales from basically the end of February until December, and then 21 flips is about 62 of those kind of transactions. And the flips were like quick MLS deals. Mm-hmm. So once I did my first wholesale, we made about, I think it was $15,000 for just for signing the paperwork. I signed the contract, the same thing that you guys do here. I was like, wow, if I can build a company around this, it's basically arbitrage, right? I'm, Absolutely, I'm finding arbitrage. it here, I'm selling it here. Mm-hmm. There's no forced value or forced appreciation like in the in the uh, in the flipping. Mm-hmm. So I realized that everybody wants to flip thanks to HGTV, but nobody knows yeah. how to wholesale, especially Absolutely. in Canada. So I thought, wouldn't it be cool if I could become, you know, the the wholesaler for for all these other people? So right away, dude. The answer, sorry, is right away. Yeah, we say, we're Canadian. We say sorry every other word. So just get ready for it. Was that? I said we say sorry every other word oh, when okay. we're Canadian. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, but yeah, right away we jumped into wholesaling, mm-hmm. and then I and then I started looking at how do I build out my company to focus specifically on doing those kind of transactions. So what's the median price uh, in Windsor? Uh, Windsor right now is about 250. So we serve okay. a lot of the first time home buyer market, which is about 160 to 220. Gotcha. Um, we're a blue collar town. There's about 250,000 people. My favorite kind of town to do deals in um, because there's always an end buyer. Mm-hmm. There's always somebody who wants a property, whether it's a you know home flipper who wants something that he can do work in, whether it's a, um, a retail buyer who wants a fully finished product. And what, um, what is your, your targeted spread? On a deal? Well, I can tell you. So we, we shoot to make about $25,000 a deal, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and for us, whether it's a wholesale or a flip, we just have one number. It's 25 grand. Uh, I can tell you right now, we're actually fairly close. Let me see your profit per deal. This year has been amazing. This year has actually been $29,000 profit per deal. Wow. Which is pretty good. Yeah. Um, compared to last year, which was uh, about $16,000 profit per deal. Hmm. So we focused on kind of finding better quality deals. Uh, I know a lot of guys, they run through and do as many of these things as possible. They make a 2,000 spread or a 5,000 spread or 10,000 spread. I'm looking at what, what can we hit a consistent number? Because for my team back home, for our staff, it's a lot easier if they just have a target goal and they're like, this is the goal, this is the goal, this is the goal. And interestingly enough, the market's so hot Nothing sits on the market for more than three days back home. So mm. we're getting multiple offers, over asking, all this stuff. It's it's just nuts. So I don't know how it is in Windsor. I have friends in Toronto. Yep. And I think like the close will sometimes, it's not unusual for it to be four months, six months. That's right. Is that the same for you? Yep, same deal. For us, it just depends on the seller, what they need. So I'm big on- But I'm talking about on your flips. On, on properties that we have? Mm-hmm. Um, no, we're pretty much done in 30 days because we've got okay. it pretty ironed out. We've been doing this for a while now. So 30 days in and out the door. So we're into a deal. I think by the time we close, take possession, sell it, maybe 60 days, maybe 90 if it's pushing it out. Mm-hmm. We try not to be in six-month deals because you're just burning. You're burning the profit, right? And oh, absolutely. Costs. Absolutely. That's and the reason why I was asking because, you know, what was customary up there? Yeah. 
Um, okay, so then what were your challenges when you started wholesaling? Uh, the legal was number one, like really understanding the, the laws around it. We've got this organization called Real Estate Council of Ontario. Ontario is the biggest province. And we're very real estate, uh, realtor driven, right? So our whole economy, we're about 10 years behind you guys. So mm -hmm. imagine you guys 10 years ago where everything was realtor, mm -hmm. right? Wholesaling wasn't a thing. Selling for cash wasn't a thing. Billboards, we buy homes wasn't a thing. So my biggest challenge was number one, understanding my legal guideline and making sure I knew what the, that line was and I was on this side of the line. Because I've had inquiries, I've had complaints, I've had realtors, you can't buy houses for cash. I'm like, sure I can, I buy cars for cash, right? can I buy so there's this mindset like, and I love agents. I got a lot of buddies who are agents, but they spend a lot of money in Canada to convince people that you have to buy with an agent. You get mm -hmm. these commercials like, of course, should have hired an agent, right? And you got like the rock star band next door mm -hmm. to the house that you just bought. Uh, so there's, it's almost a monopoly. So yeah. I think my biggest challenge was educating the general public that it's okay to sell privately. In Ontario, we're like attorney states. Like we have to use a lawyer to close every transaction. That's a lot, I bet that's a lot of fun. Yeah, well, what, what it means is we already have we already have somebody, a fiduciary, who has to close that transaction mm -hmm. and make sure your interests are protected. So yeah. instead of having them and realtors, we're just, so removing that, I guess, hurdle. So the beginning, it was like, you guys are a scam. You guys are this. I'm like, I've been around for 10 years doing deals. What do you mean? Oh, you can't buy direct. So that was our hardest challenge. And there's a cost to that. I figured out that per market, because we're in about six markets now, mm -hmm. it's about $150,000 of branding per market to wash away those concerns. And educating them public. Correct. My biggest problem is that I'm pioneering this, mm -hmm. so education is the biggest component. So everything we do is very, you know, brand-driven, education-driven. Put a lot of content out, a lot of videos. Um, we have to we have to build that goodwill first with the audience before we can say, "Hey, sell us your house for cash." Gotcha. So I think that's the hardest part in Canada. And I'm across from Detroit, so it's so easy for me to just hop the border and buy the list from you know Skip Trace and all that stuff. But I realized that I have a unique opportunity in Canada because there's nobody else doing it. Right. So that was gonna be my next question. You must be cleaning up. Right, you have no competition. Yep, pretty much. Well, we're starting to get some guys now because we're very U.S. influenced, especially in our market. Like all of our television, radio is all American based. Mm. So now that Canadians are kind of seeing this opportunity uh, as a result of, let's say, me putting out a lot of content, there's probably one other guy actually wholesaling that, that mm. knows what he's doing. Um, but yeah, we're educating people. Now they're starting to, to kind of get the hand of it. So you're getting a lot of entry-level wholesalers. Mm -hmm. and, and again, the problem in Canada is it's not like the US. Those guys don't understand the hurdles they have to go through to get to that stage. It's right. a lot easier if you're an existing real estate flipping company and you add wholesaling on the front end lead generation or, or acquisition piece of your business and then let it, let it really boost up the rest of that company. So that's something that slight twists on that is I've been trying to push this really hard Realtors really hate wholesalers. Yeah. Right. They really look down on wholesalers. That's right. And I, I'm trying to get these realtors to understand, like if you would just add wholesaling to your business, you would double or more your profits at yep. the end of the year. But they're so busy judging that yep. they're missing that opportunity. Oh, I, dude, I totally get it. Uh, um, I think the problem is that it's still a very industrial model, mm -hmm. industrial age type of business where we now live in the information age. I think the, the issue really comes down to they're trying to preserve something. So like in Canada, you can't get data anywhere. You guys have Freedom of Information Act. We mm -hmm. have Privacy Information Protection Act, complete opposite. Yeah. So I can't pull data, I can't pull lists. The realtors own all the sale data other than the municipalities, which are three or four months behind. So you can only get it on the MLS database. Mm -hmm. The problem is the moment you become a data source and you're not leading with value and service, it's just a matter of time before you're starting to deteriorate your own value. Absolutely. Right? So mm -hmm. why not, you know, you're, you're, you're wiping out the service like, oh, I just, I'm hoarding the data. Well, eventually the data is going to become free. 
somewhere, somehow, like Zillow just made inlands into Canada. They actually had a a large lawsuit with the Toronto Real Estate Board that they won in the Supreme Court of Canada. So we're going to start seeing a lot more of this data coming up. But I think if realtors really understand the opportunity they have as real estate professionals, because they know the market better than anyone, Mm -hmm. they could they could clean up and they could they could actually serve their audience better. Right, because if somebody says they're in a really difficult situation, let's say they don't want to put their property on the MLS, they don't want to go through that that process because maybe it's private. There's a hundred reasons. Okay, I can offer you an alternative. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll buy the property or I'll wholesale it. Like it, it, it sounds like just a nice add-on. So I don't understand the hesitation, other than that old school mindset. It's it's the the pre-programming. Would you agree? In thirty years, is probably going to be gone. Like w- once a lot of these maybe older realtors retire, and like these younger guys like you who get it. Uh. I mean, I've, I've, I've kind of thought, I, I haven't looked at 30 years, but I've kind of thought like five, 10 years that, you know, 95% of the realtors would be gone. And I think attor- real estate agents would become like real estate attorneys or attorneys in general, just, you know, just a handful of them, the people that like the old school service, people that like travel agencies today. Yeah, 100%. But most people prefer Kayak or Expedia or yeah, whatever. For sure. Um, okay, so you mentioned that data is a challenge, yeah. which I'm aware of, if, again, I have friends in Canada and they can't just, um, pull sold data. So you can't even pull sold data, let alone phone numbers, uh, equity, how old they are. You can't pull any of this stuff. Correct. So what are you doing? Are, are you doing anything for data? Yeah. So it, it's like anything else in business. When there's a massive problem, if you find a massive solution, you get paid a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So again, being on the front end of this, I asked myself as a business owner, not a wholesaler, how do I aggregate and collect data, right? So the, the easiest, I guess, direct answer for the Canadians who want to pull data is call a realtor, become his buddy, and start pulling the expired listings list, right? Mm-hmm. But I can't go to list source and just pull the data on you know properties that have been vacant for six or seven months. So what we do actually is we actually aggregate the data from scratch in a couple different ways. Number one, we do large like um, samples, opinion samples and stuff online where we start finding out like what people um, uh, started, you know, getting them to opt in the conversations, right? Kind of like a lot of online marketers do. Mm-hmm. We also drop about a quarter million flyers a month. Just a lot of flyers. That's a lot of freaking flyers. And we, we really focus on inbound warm transactions warmly. So our lead flow will be a lot less than some of the US guys, but our conversion rate will be higher because we're not really working on cold conversations. Mm-hmm. And then the third thing we started doing a while ago is we, we actually started uh, approaching and getting all access to the open source information because you, you still have a whitepages.ca. There's still some of these public uh, sources available. And we started, uh, we actually hired somebody to create uh, to create a, a program that would allow us to aggregate that data and put it together. So yeah. we've finally been successful in doing that, but it took a long time. And uh, you know, it took a lot of connections, a lot of permission-based uh, you know, access to data, that kind of thing. But we can't just walk into a courthouse and say, how, how far is that guy behind on his bills? Or we have no Zillow, it doesn't exist. So you guys, you guys don't have like a foreclosure sale no. database? No, none of that stuff. And we don't even have foreclosures, frankly, we have power of sale, so it's a whole different process. What's that? So power of sale is, so I'm a lender, right? If you don't pay, let's say you're my mortgage client, I don't have to sue you and take that property back. I'll put a for sale sign and just sell it from underneath you. What? Yeah, oh yeah, that's why I love the mortgage business because yeah, in Canada, the, so rentals are highly, highly regulated in Ontario. It's very difficult to be a landlord because landlord tenant board and all this stuff. Mortgages is not though. So you buy my property, you default because you don't pay. I give you 35 days to come up. If not, I'm literally putting that property on the MLS, listing it and selling it from underneath you. Why you living it? Why you living it, yeah. And then I get a sheriff to boot you out and then you're gone. Now I haven't had to do that. I don't wanna do that, I don't like to do that. Well, but having that those control, are the options. Correct. Gives you a lot of, uh, 
it gives you a lot of power as a lender because you know that you really hold the balls at the end of the day, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. it's really on my on my judgment. So like we dictate what a default is at the very front end of your loan, right? So if you don't pay X amount of days, it's a, it's an automatic default. If you don't pay your insurance, it's a default. If your mm-hmm. taxes are behind, it's a default, right? Um, and so you give them 35 days to cure. 35 days to cure it or, or we're putting a for sale sign on your loan. So that's the difference is I don't have to go through a court process to evict you from that property. I simply invoke my rights as the lender because I have the charge. So it's like it's like any bank, right? The bank owns your property, you don't own it. Mm-hmm. So long as you have a mortgage, the bank owns that property, right? right. And, and I'm a believer that you never own the property even when it's mortgage free because the city and the municipality owns it. Because you don't pay your property taxes, you'll find out who owns that property. Absolutely. We just have a much more direct process in, in, in correcting that, right? Mm-hmm. By power of sailing, not foreclosing. Gotcha. But th- that being said, well, I'll add one point is that it's, it's kind of non-recourse, meaning that if I sell it for 50 grand more than what's owing on it, I have to actually give that homeowner the difference. Mm-hmm. Where I think over here, basically, uh, if, you're, if you're foreclosing, and correct me if I'm wrong, the bank just takes what they get. Is that right? Uh, well, in Arizona, okay. you get the difference, but good okay. luck getting that difference because there's a whole bunch of junk fees, fees. attorney's fees, whatever. Yep. And then if an investor buys it, they're buying it at 65, 70% of market value. So you're not getting anything back. You're not getting anything back. Yeah, fair enough. Um, okay, so uh, another thing I, 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 you know, I was paying attention to what you guys are doing. You also have, um, I don't know what you guys call them, uh, uh, bird dogs or? Bird dogs. Yeah. Lead ninjas. Yeah. So yeah. that's another way of solving this problem. Mm-hmm. So we kind of use our bird dogs or our lead ninjas kind of like you guys are wholesalers over here mm-hmm. because the paperwork is the most complicated part in Canada. Like we have a six page purchase and sale agreement, right? I think you guys are, are a lot shorter. Right uh, no, we're, we're at 10. Are you really? Okay. Yeah. So we have a standard doc that we use all across Ontario and it's about six or seven pages depending on conditions and everything else. So to avoid you getting into that situation where you're brokering deals without a license, cause you get fined, right? So Rico's like, hi, you're brokering deals. Show us that you're not. And now you got this investigation, you got to go through this whole nonsense. So what we did it was, what if we're the company that buys everything, you just help start a conversation, find the lead. So it's basically a lead generation business. So you as a lead ninja come into our company, right? We'd show you all the guerrilla tactics that are available. You go out, you basically start a conversation with somebody, you take that lead, you log into your lead ninja portal, you plug it in, and then we'll do the follow-up call, we'll do the contract, we'll close the deal, we'll sell the deal, and we pay you a $2,000 per conversion fee. So it's kind of like wholesaling, but it's not because you never touch a contract. So that's not acting as an agent. Not at all. Because? Because you're never touching a contract. So, but you're starting the conversation. Sure, but you're not not negotiating, you're not doing the paperwork. You're you're not a fiduciary on behalf of Mm -hmm. that client. You're basically saying, hey, do you want to sell your property for cash? Sure, would you entertain an offer? Sure, I would. It's no different than a cold caller, yeah. right? Because a cold caller is going to take that data, mm-hmm. put it over here. It's really upon us as the company to make that contact point, to do the paperwork, to do all the legal side of things. All right. I see where you're going with this train of thought, though. That's yeah. okay. Well, I, I'm just thinking as far as on our side, I mm-hmm. think that would get you into trouble. On you guys? Yeah. So how do you deal with bird dogs over here? Officially? Sure. We don't. Okay. I say a non-agent. Let's say you're an investor, because I'm mm-hmm. not an agent either, mm-hmm. right? You're just an investor. If somebody brings you a lead, can you not pay them on that lead? The official answer is no. Okay. <laughs> we'll stick with that then. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. What happens enough. behind these things, I can't say. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. So in Canada, again, you're bringing a lead, you're starting a conversation, yeah. right? Uh, right. No different than a cold caller or anybody else. Uh, so so we even like, you know, cold calling, we, we have to get a DUNS number, do not, do not call list. We have to go through this whole process. Mm-hmm. So everything is very kind of tightly in place. We don't do anything outside the box. 
my whole job is to find a better and bigger box that's available and mm -hmm. then work within that box. Gotcha. Makes sense. Uh, okay. So with your lead ninja, I mean, or your company, what does Forte real estate and all this look like today, organization wise in terms of team? So we've mm -hmm. got people uh, roles. Okay. So I think the biggest thing I focus most of my energy on these days is investing in my team. So I don't buy the deals. I don't see properties. I haven't done that in a few months. Mm -hmm. uh, I started doing all that from scratch and then, you know, kind of worked our way up. So I look at finding Navy SEALs, not foot soldiers. So we've got nine Navy SEALs in the office and we've got 30 lead ninja members right now that are out and about finding deals every day, you know, starting conversations and then we're, we're picking up the business at our office. Mm -hmm. Uh, so nine guys finding so, deals. Yeah. So let's say you about, sent me a video the other day. I did. Right. There's nine guys in the office. Yeah. Those are the nine people finding deals. No, those are nine people that are processing. So a team conventionally, so we've got acquisitions. So we've mm -hmm. got two or three people in-house doing acquisitions. And they're the ones responding to the direct mail. You got it. Yep. Okay. And, and dealing with the ninjas, right? Cause we use everything through Podio. So okay. we've got beast mode set up. They plug in the lead into Podio. We grab the lead. We call, we do everything. We facilitate. We've got a, uh, a lead manager, office manager. We've got a deal coordinator. And then the basement, which I know you're jealous of, cause we've got that amazing marketing guy. We've got our <laughs> media guy down there, Dave. We've got our project. Dave, manager. if you're looking for another job, let me know. <laughs> no way, bro. That's my guy. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's solid. He's such a good dude. Uh, so we've got Dave down there. We've got Vinny down there who does technology and marketing. And then we've got a project manager and we've actually got an in-house realtor who sells our deal. So all mm -hmm. of our dispo goes through an agent now. Okay. Uh, meaning that she lists it. Correct. Yeah. Right. He'll list the property back on MLS for us because the market is so hot right now. Mm -hmm. We haven't done a wholesale in a couple of months and our, our cash buyers aren't too happy with it, yeah. but it's like... As a company, we only do X amount of deals. If I hit my number, so for us, we're, we're trying to hit about 150 grand a month. Mm -hmm. If I hit that number, then we'll wholesale deals, right? If we don't, then I'm putting them back on the MLS because right. we, we put a property up last week asking 169, the guy sold it for 235. That's standard in our town. So it's tough to justify going through a wholesale transaction when you're 30, 40, 50K over on the MLS. Wow. Nuts, uh, right? So one thing that I've um, thought about, so let me ask you this, the, the realtor that works for you, Per deal, commission, what's what's the compensation for that guy? So, so he's a Keller Williams guy, and he's full out uh, his commission through Keller Williams. The only difference is he has an office in our office. So he's actually got two. He can work through Keller, he can work at our office. Gotcha. So we give him all the resources, but everything goes through commission, goes through the board. But the you local pay board. him a commission every, yeah, each and every commission. And, and in Canada, like 5% is the average, I think over here too, right? Maybe six. Six. Okay, so five or six percent is the average back home. I used to do everything through like um, discount brokerages. So mm -hmm. we used to sell everything ourselves and usually pay half half the commission back out to the cooperating brokerage. Mm -hmm. But I found that the time that we spent funneling phone calls and managing the appointments and all that stuff, we'd rather just pay a few thousand dollars more, give it to somebody whose full focus is, is on our company. And then it actually adds another team member in. So I'm always looking for how can I, even if it costs me money, how do I get somebody else into the team that's a rock star? Yeah. So. I have an idea, which is a little controversial. Okay. Maybe blasphemous. Hit me. Uh, but I've all, I've been of the opinion that if I was just a wholesaler and I was not licensed, I would just have a realtor on my team on salary, and their job is just to sell the houses. Mm -hmm. So instead of paying one two percent of like five or six sales, it's just you're getting paid forty k fifty k a year, whatever. Mm -hmm. But that's your job, and that's it. What's wrong know. with that logic? I mean, that's that sounds great. But you're but you're talking you're paying a commission, right? Like we, we've switched. structured it in a commission just because it was easier for him and his paperwork and everything else. Yeah. But ideally, we were we were gonna bring in somebody salary just for this particular circ circumstance. We like let's just give the commission a go. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I love that idea. I, 
I, I think we limit ourselves a lot with like, these are the rules, this is what we have to do. Mm-hmm. Instead of just pick up the phone, call whatever board of realtors you have to talk to and say, what is the exact rule around this? Is it right. is it legal, possible, ethical, moral, or not? And yeah. if the answer is yes, then it, everything else is again, it's drama, it's not data. Mm-hmm. So, so we have those conversations, I'll call the board, Hi, I'm doing this. Is it okay? Like we started, uh, not us. One of the local agents, because now they can publicize data. They started putting the data, like sold prices on homes, and sending out mailers. Mm-hmm. Board, we can't do that. That's not a thing here. You you can't go through that extent. And they call them. Is this legal, moral, ethical, or not? Mm-hmm. Well, technically, you can, but you shouldn't. Thank you. Have a nice day. <laughs> so I think maybe I love that idea. I'm, yeah. I'm always about pushing the barriers. I'm always about pioneering. Because if we don't do it, Steve, who's going to do it? Like if right. we don't advance the industry and if we don't push these things forward, nobody else is. We're going to sit here and because we didn't get here by doing that. You follow yeah. me? Oh, yeah. Doing what everyone else told us to do. Yeah. Somebody was controversial. Somebody was polarizing. Mm-hmm. Somebody had an amazing podcast show. Because yeah. before you, dude, I don't even know what other podcasts were around. Like I told you before I came in, I, I followed you from, from day one. It was just, I was like, wow, an actual legitimate, honest discussion with people in an articulate way. Yeah. So. You're already you're already paving the way by doing this, right? Okay. So I think just keep paving it. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, man. Um, Jian Yang has a question. Uh, what percent uh, of your gross is profits? What percent? So in our business, um, you're talking just on the wholesale piece, on the whole business. Like uh, I would say for this, probably just the wholesale side. Okay, so on the wholesale side, uh, we average about a 35% margin mm-hmm. uh, profit on those. Uh, the double flips are much higher, so we do a lot more double flips. Yeah, okay. for that reason. Double flips, meaning I'm sorry, double closes. Okay. So you guys call them hotels here? We call them hotel, yeah. Hotel, okay. Uh, yeah. So we do mostly hotels these days. Yeah. Because we'll buy a property for 150 grand. You know, we'll we'll do nothing, maybe clean it up, pop it back up, and then you know we sell it for 191, you know, 200, that kind of thing. So yeah. we're doing mostly those until I basically do what the market tells me. I don't just go in like I'm a wholesaler. I go in and saying, what is the market condition telling me? What are the data points telling me? And you know, is the market active enough where I should be putting properties here, or should I be doing wholesale deals, or should I be doing long-term holds? Right. So I'm just I'm adjusting based on what the market's giving oh, me. You're introspective. Yeah. Which is a huge advantage if you can do that, mm-hmm. right? To actually sit down and think versus just do. I think you have to be. I don't know the other way of, of doing this. Like we're very blessed. I'll be honest because we have you guys. I think U.S. and Canada are the two best countries mm-hmm. in the world. We have you guys, so whatever happens here, we're all behind you. Yeah. So it's a little bit like a crystal ball, I won't lie. You know, that's why I come <laughs> to the States a lot and I hang out with people and I'm in masterminds here with like, yeah. you know, the DM family, Mark Evans and those guys. It's because whatever happens here, we're falling right behind you. So like yeah. when Detroit took a massive tank right back in 08, 09, we were right behind you guys mm-hmm. with automotive and everything else. So if I see how the wholesale industry goes here, then it kind of gives me some insight into what I can do back home. But as a business owner, you have to use the resources you have available. And Absolutely. if I have you guys as a resource, then use it, right? Yeah, well, it's it's, uh, it's a very good point, right? So you're talking about the DM family. Yep. Um, and there's some big, big players in there. Yep, definitely. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot of people that are concerned about investing in education or they think, you know, I can't spend a thousand bucks on this or that uh, to invest in myself. You know, I see every once in a while, like, oh, just go watch YouTube videos. You don't need to pay for a mentor. Yep. What would you say about that? Well, you don't. Honestly, you don't. But mm-hmm. what do you want? So, so when I first started, I actually went to a rich dad conference. I was 23 years old. I paid $25,000 yeah. US for a Canadian, right? So back then it was like 40, 42 grand. We didn't have money Oof. or maybe, maybe it was just, just under 42 because the exchange was, was quite high. So we didn't have money. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't, I didn't commit to them and they didn't commit to me. So all that happened was for the next two or three years, I spent my wife's income paying that back mm-hmm. and it left a, a horrible taste in my mouth. 
And basically, I just kind of grinded my way out. I didn't really have mentors. I had a couple of guys that you know I hung out with. And it wasn't until I met Chris, Chris Rude, right? And, and I went to this conference. And, and Chris isn't just a real estate coach, right? He's a like personal development a coach. And he says, do you want the shortcuts or do you want to keep wasting time? Like, yeah. which is it? So I realized that it's like Super Mario, right? You mm -hmm. can actually jump to the next level by just buying your way there. Yeah. So now I look at it as, what is your ignorance worth to you? Because you're not gonna spend 5,000 on a mentor or a coach, but you're gonna spend the next six months wasting your energy and running around, and you'll probably spend more than that in just dumb decisions, right? <laughs> Seriously, you will. Yeah. It's like why I joined the DM fam. Those guys, those guys are rock stars, right? Mark Evans is a rock star. I think he's an incredible business owner. And I joined that group because those guys could give me insight, like how do I get my business from one to 10 overnight? Mm -hmm. Not in some get rich quick scheme, but how do I do that systematically in the most efficient way possible? Not how do I waste three years of my life? Because until I met Chris Rude, like, like, dude, I was wasting time. I was flipping houses, I was watching HGTV, and I was following the herd. And then I realized, you know what? Everybody who doesn't pay for coaching is another version of sheep. They're mm -hmm. all sheep, every one of them. I don't care what the excuse is. Once you've paid for coaching and you become the wolf, you realize how dumb it was when I didn't pay for coaching. So yeah. my biggest, I think, mistake over the years is that I could be much further ahead had I recognized that I needed somebody who knew what I needed to know, right? Uh, I just want to say, officially, this is the first time that we've had a Super Mario Brothers <laughs> on the show. Yep. Now I just told my age. There you go. Boom. <laughs> I love Super Mario. Me too. Um, okay, so deal flow. You said you're doing... Like how many deals a month? So right now we, we target to do, so we're doing 29,000 bucks a deal and we're doing about 10 to 15 a month right now. So that's, gotcha. that's our target. We look more at a revenue model. So when I, when I kind of partnered up with Mark and, and joined the DM fam, we're looking at different metrics, different KPIs. Uh, we're looking at, this is the rev we're trying to hit, whether we have 50 grand spread on one deal and let's say we happen to get a five grand spread on the other deal. It's mm -hmm. a monthly rev model that I'm looking at. I look at this more like a like a business than as a wholesaler, right? Mm -hmm. So it's just, if we hit the target, that's where we're at. Um, I'd love to get to about 30, 40 deals. And I think, uh, you know, as we grow the Lead Ninja brand, because we just we just started that a couple months ago, yeah. that's really gonna help us accelerate our growth quickly. Um, you know, because some of those guys in the DM fam, they're doing like 50 deals a month. It's yeah. dumb, it's just crazy. Now, I, I also look at, like I told you at the beginning, the higher profit deals. I don't want to do $2,000 transactions right. because my carrying cost, my legal fees are going to absorb any profit I have because every deal that we close on between land transfer tax, legals, and the rest of it, I got five grand out the door just, just to close a deal. When you say legal, we're talking like title fees. I'm talking about title and lawyer costs. Gotcha. Lawyer doesn't work for free either. So he's, he's 1500 bucks or 2000 just on the legal bill. Yeah. So lawyers that clean up. My lawyer loves me, dude, loves me because yeah. I run, you know, I basically keep the business going. Uh, he's a great guy. He's been with us from the beginning, but there is a cost to, to closing. Um, are you doing any virtual deals? That's uh, William Mesidor wants to know. Oh, man. Oh, man. Well, part, part, of, uh, part of growing is, is, yeah, we actually just launched. Um, so we were in one main market. I had a massive limiting belief about doing virtual. I had all these questions, and I went. Uh, Chris really helped bring that out of me, and so did Mark, actually. I went to Mark's event, and he was like, um, Dude, this is how it's done. And every rebuttal that I had was completely squashed. So long story short, yes, we are. We're now in six different markets and we've done, like we don't even go to the house sometimes. We're just doing it virtually, contracts, yeah. send in the paperwork, go to the lawyers, close the deal. Yeah. So it, it is a phenomenal uh, use of leverage, which a guy who uses a lot of OPM, for me, leverage is key. Whatever I can leverage, I do, as long as it's ethical, moral, you know, and, and I'm, I'm doing the right thing by people. If I yeah. think I'm screwing somebody, I have no part of it, no interest, whether it's a lender, a style of deal, a partner, like I have zero interest in taking advantage of people. Gotcha. Um, 
How much are you spending a month on marketing? Well, now here's the question. Is it on the branding side or is it on the lead generation side? Because we actually have two separate flows. Both. Keep in mind, like we're, we're trying to launch into new markets. So now yeah. as we come into a new market, it's like, this is a scam, blah, blah, blah. 150 grand, no longer a scam. Okay, so not including the education Collectively, part. Collectively, we're, we're about 70,000, 80,000 per month. Okay, that's marketing. That's right. Uh, and you were saying that it was a quarter million in, in, in direct mail. Quarter million direct mail. We had about 15 channels at one point. We've narrowed it down to about four that actually work. Uh-huh. So for you guys who like want to know what's the best channel for me, marketing is all mechanics, right? That's something Chris taught me. Basically, it doesn't matter what you do as long as you do it consistently and you track and measure the results and then you split, right? So if 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 you're getting the a result, right? Split test it. If you get a better result, then switch you know switch over. If not, right. then stick with the original one. So our, is your next question? What's the best channels? Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Direct mail is my primary, love direct mail. We do a lot of referral business because we're relational. So yeah. referrals cost me nothing. Let's be honest, right? right? You build a relationship and then they start coming in, right? As a residual, basically. Uh, referrals are huge. Uh, we, we really started to do a lot of PPC lately because nobody in Canada does PPC and, and Google. And then our other big one is Facebook. We hired probably the best Facebook guy in the country over here. Uh, his name is Nate Kennedy. Mm-hmm. The dude's amazing. And uh, his company's been getting us like hand over fist leads lately. So, really? so that's kind of our thing. So flyers and then a whole bunch of online stuff. That's surprising on the, on the, on the Facebook part. Yeah. Uh, so then uh, monthly overhead, total, everything. For the whole biz? Yeah. Uh, so let's say 70, 30, so probably about a buck 10, maybe a buck 20 a month with everything we have coming yeah. in. Yeah. So a lot of people are trying to get to 100,000 a month in revenue. Yep. You're well past that. Yeah. Well, I got this <laughs> philosophy, right? My philosophy is if you spend a dollar and you make two, mm-hmm. right? then find out a way to spend as many dollars as possible. Right. Everybody else is contracting. Mm-hmm. Like when we got to our first million dollars, my wife and I, we saved our way there. We were frugal. We were the typical immigrants. Yeah. But then I realized I can save my way to a million bucks, but I can't save to a hundred million dollars. Right. So if you're spending a dollar right now, and you guys gotta hear me, if you're spending a dollar and you're making two, you need to spend more money. So yeah. my goal is if I spend a hundred K and I make 200,000 in rev, beautiful, then I'm up a hundred grand. Mm-hmm. So the answer, how do you get there? You need to spend. Because yeah. you need to gain attention. You gotta gain influence. You got people gotta know what you're doing, like this show. Mm-hmm. Right? You're out there. Everybody knows about disruptors. I'm the I'm a disruptor. Like I come Absolutely in, this is this is the perfect company or the perfect brand for me, right? Yeah. Um because we're disrupting the space. Mm-hmm. So I think my thing is everybody's afraid to spend money. Everybody wants a happy meal discount on everything. Yeah. There's no discounts on marketing. Marketing is an investment in your brand, in your growth. Um, it is not an expense. So I think that's the biggest mental shift I had to go through. Because I went from 5,000 a month to 10,000 a month, and I was at 10 for a long time. Then we got to about 20 for about uh, you know two, three months. And then a couple months ago, I was like, you know what? I'm never gonna be able to get to two, 300,000 a month if I don't spend that kind of money. Yeah. So we went from like 20 to 70 in one month. That's awesome. I think it's necessary. Well, absolutely. I mean, necessary. I don't want to. I'd rather just buy a new car every month, but. Hey, if, <laughs> if, if the money that goes out is, is less than the money that comes in, then you just keep doing it. You got it. Uh, valuable resources. Uh, in terms of what do you recommend as far as uh, information, products, anything in general to do wholesaling? Yeah. Okay. In Canada mm-hmm. specifically, um, well, you know, the first thing is relational, right? For me, so find a realtor who understands what you're trying to do and partner with them. Yeah. Let them give you like realtors can't call the, the the expired listings. We have a do not call kind of clause in the contract, so they can't they can't make those conversations. I don't know if you guys really? have that here. Yeah. Uh, sure. You do. So uh, if you if you list the home in Canada, not for expired, but for like you know, it's 
frowned upon. Okay. It happens a lot. Yeah, ours are actually baked in most of those contracts. Okay. So if you list a property with a with a seller and you don't sell that property, I as another agent can't approach your client and say, Hi, list with me. It doesn't work that way. Gotcha. Right? So as a result, you as a wholesaler or an investor can get access to that whole list of of expired listings mm-hmm. and then market to those folks. Hi, I buy homes. Yeah. Make sure you can. So here's the secret with wholesaling Canada. Make sure you have the ability, the cash and the intention of closing on that transaction anytime you write a contract. Mm-hmm. If you have those things in place, you'll never get in a lawsuit issue. If you don't, I know guys like, dude, I got sued for 20 grand. Like, do you have money to close the deal? No. Well, <laughs> so the, there's an easy, easy answer for that too. Find a guy with money to close the deal. Your boy, right? right. So Absolutely. we have guys who, I got a deal under contract. Can you help me close it? I got you, no problem. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's partner, let's find a way to work together. I'd rather help you get to that level and then you'll make enough money, then you can invest it back with me anyways, right? Yeah. If that's the right move for you. So I'm, I'm a big believer in just helping people get there. So I think the biggest resource for these guys is find somebody who's actually doing the business. Yeah. Not on Instagram, you know, don't, don't be showing your, you know, your flash on the gram and thinking like, find a guy who's doing 10, 15, 20 deals a month, making a hundred grand a month and just ask for help. Yeah. People on IG are pretty cool. Like yeah. I used to have this limiting belief that they don't respond back, mm-hmm. but I hit you up, I'm like, yo, what's up bro? And you're like, hey man, I'm like, oh shoot. <laughs> right, so just like reach out to me, reach out to other guys who are doing the business and yeah. just ask for help. I think that's the biggest, biggest resource ever is just ask for help. All right. Uh, and then we're, we're going to be going uh, in five minutes with Chris. So we'll just hit a couple of these questions real quick. What is your motivating factor? Like, why are you, why are you oh, doing what you're doing? I love this question, man. For me, at the end of the day, it's massive impact. Mm-hmm. I come from a place of massive oppression where our people basically are in bread lines. Like that's where we came from. My father at 27 had four children, five children. And he, and he fled a country on foot, on foot, you know, illegally. And if he could do all that for me and bring me to this country at six years old, yeah. it's like, how do I not impact thousands and thousands of people? I have no choice. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, everything I do, like it's not about the money anymore, right? I mean, the money's cool. Up After you make a million dollars, it's just numbers on a board. Like, let's be honest, right? Yeah. Once you have your basic needs, you don't have to drive so many cars, have so many houses, have so many, you know what I mean? Beyond that, it's like, I'm doing it because I love it. I'm doing it because I love impacting people. And I love finding that guy who's like me at 20 years old. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the guy I want to talk to because that's a guy who's like just looking for somebody to mentor, somebody who's going to help him. So for me, Chris was that guy. Mark was that guy. I have two main mentors. By the way, I found the two best mentors available mm-hmm. and I asked them for help. It's the same advice I give that guy, right? Yeah. Dude, you're the best personal coach. You're the best business coach. Like, I'll pay you. Whatever it is, 50 grand a year, doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, so that's my huge why is I do it because I love it. I do it because I want to impact people. I want to inspire and motivate people. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. My daddy was a minister. I watched him growing up, the most influential man in my life. And I watched him like help people his entire life. So I, I want to I further his legacy by being the best version of myself possible. I love that. And, you know, I think we have this in common, you know, being uh, – having to flee because of communism, right? So yeah. like, you know, my grandparents left China because of communism. My parents left Vietnam because of communism. My dad was actually, you're talking about illegally, was arrested and thrown in jail for trying to flee illegally before I was born, Wow. right? And my aunt had to bribe him, bribe the jail to get my dad out, right? That's, that's how scared the whole system was. And that, that's how it was back home too. Like you, yeah. would, you would pay your way for everything. You go to the hospital, deliver a child and you're pregnant, you have to pay the doctor to deliver that child. Yeah. Like that, that's just how communism is. Like it's it's, it's it's amazing when you leave that to look back at how they did things and think, wow, that's, it, it, I can't even fathom that. Right. So when you come here, you and I, we know immigrants do it better. Am I right? <laughs> come on, give me some. Get, uh, I mean, because we just have that mindset of, 
you know, we came we, here for a reason. Yeah, we, we came here to do something significant. Yeah. So I'm not trying to downplay Americans, Canadians, whatever. Like, yeah. But if you've got that much intention and that much willpower in your being, you can't stop me, bro. Like, you can knock me down, I'll get back up. Yeah. Whatever it is, get back up, right? I started doing the, the rap thing a, a while ago. I came out of my shell, and I'm a musician, so I started doing this rap thing, and I call myself the humble wholesaler. Start putting out tracks. I got a fake gold suit, fake gold chain, fake. You can check it out on my IG. Yeah. I did that. People were like, you're nuts. You ruin your brand. You ruin your legacy. I'm like, dude, if a little bit of fake gold ruins my brand, what that, what value is that brand? Mm-hmm. So get out of your shell, man. Like, Live a life of purpose. If you're not living in purpose, then what are you living for? Yeah. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So I think you and I get that because we come from a very similar background. Um, and then we'll have this be the last question. Williams wants to know, what do you struggle with right now? <sighs> the only thing I ever struggle with is my own mind. Because if I put something in my brain like I can achieve that, then I'll focus on that so much intentionally for, for months and months and months until I find a way to connect the dots. Mm-hmm. The only limiting belief you ever have is the internal limiting belief because the limiting belief about external, like is wholesaling possible? Yes, it is. The vehicle, is this the right vehicle or the right company to work with? Sure, whatever. It's the internal. So William, like, dude, if you could put it in your brain and you can see it, right? Whatever the mind can believe and can achieve, right? You know, you can see you can achieve it. So that's the biggest thing. If I want to be the next whatever GC of Canada, I got it. Mm-hmm. But you got to put it in your brain and then you got to get rid of the drama and then reverse engineer, how do you get there? How do you get to a million bucks a year? Reverse engineer that process. Yeah. How large does your company have to look like? How much capital do you need? Write it on a piece of paper and then drop the drama. And then it's just data points. Month one, I hit it. Month two, I hit it. Month three, I hit it. And there you go. Now you're at a million bucks. Now you go to 10. So yeah. all in here. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. I, I completely agree with it. I mean, even just to um, uh, elaborate on what you said, right? Writing it out. Because that was an exercise I did a long time ago. Yeah. Right. Picture your business is doing this. Right, close your eyes, picture it out, then write it out. And once you've written it, now your mind knows how to do it. Yeah, yeah, because you gotta envision it first. If you can't see yourself as a millionaire, like I dreamed of buying a Lamborghini forever, right? When I was a little kid, I wanted, I saw it on my like refugee wall, some kid had a Lamborghini, I'm like, oh man, that's so cool, I want that. And then it got to the point, I'm like, at some point I kept making excuses why I didn't buy it. It wasn't even money after a point because there's enough credit in this world you can buy whatever you want, right? Yeah. But it was like, oh, I'm never going to drive it. I'm, you know, I'm too busy working. It's going to be a distraction. And then Mark said something to me one day. He's like, dude, you have to check the box because you made a commitment to yourself you're going to buy something. If you can't check a $200,000 box or $100,000 box, how are you going to check a $10 million box over here? Mm-hmm. So I think it's something to be said about checking boxes and they start really small. You know, working out, I lost 10 pounds. I need to lose 10 pounds. Every day I have to just get my exercise box 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 so when you write things out it's so powerful what it does to your brain because it forces you to either put up or just realize it's just drama yeah. right you're either going to do the work or you're not consistent action over time the, the book the slight edge right you read mm-hmm. that book uh no but it sounds like the compound effect basically the same thing right you just keep putting daily consistent action it's like that picture of the of the iceberg you know where like only this much is above mm-hmm. water and the rest mm-hmm. of it's underwater i'm 10 years of iceberg man you only see the last year and a half because I realized like I can do so much more than what I was doing. All right. Right. Well, I think that's the perfect way to end it. Uh, if someone wants to get a hold of you, how would they do that? A couple ways. Uh, IG, you know, Ben Humble CEO, website humble.ceo. Uh, or you can check out leadninja.ca if you guys want to learn how to do real estate deals in Canada. And yeah, check us out. Dude, just shoot a message. Reach out to somebody and just say, hey, how do I do this? Or I need help or what? Like, you'd be surprised how generous the real estate community is. Absolutely. Right? The I mean, top producers are. That's what I noticed about people who are at the top of their game, right? Like Chris and Mark. Those guys will give you all the time in the world mm-hmm. if they know that they're helping you do something more, you know, larger than yourself. 
but nobody's got time for drama and BS and nonsense. Yep. So just reach out. Say, hey, dude, I need help. Can you help me? Can you give me some direction? Because at the end of the day, our legacy is what? Investing in hundreds or thousands of other people who say, Steve's that guy that I look to. Mm-hmm. Right, Steve's that guy that really helped me through his podcast, understand what I had to do, gave me confidence, I took action, I succeeded. Yeah. Like that's what we want at the end of the day, well, right? Well, I mean, that's what my, one of my uh, favorite sayings by Jim Rohn was that, you know, I just want to know that I was part of your journey. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Dude, that's, that's so amazing, because really we gotta live, in, we gotta have a purpose somewhere. Yeah. You know what I mean? And for most of us, I think once we hit a certain monetary financial threshold, it's, it has to be impact or purpose or legacy or something greater than the next car and the next boat and the next whatever. Absolutely. You feel me? Yep. My brother. All right. I love Thank this guy. you. Thank you guys for watching. And Thank you. In a few minutes, we'll start with Chris. Love it. Awesome.